Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the uh, fourth Sunday of the Holy Great Fast. We reached uh, the halfway mark. Three more weeks, and uh, we'll enter the Passion Week. The Church chose for us uh, this morning the passage of the Samaritan woman, which is uh, one that is well known and well beloved among us. Um, and it's an encounter that, again, I think almost incarnates the message of last week, which is the prodigal son. We have this woman who seems to be lost. She finds Christ, and uh, she kind of completes the story. We Last week, the story was left where the young uh, boy who was lost was in the father's house, and they were feasting together. So as if she had this feast uh, today with the Lord, And after she met him and knew him and experienced his love and forgiveness, she went and shared this with um, uh, her countrymen. Now, the Samaritans uh, to the Jews were despised um, foreigners to them. And if we ever think about it, like if there's any maybe prejudice that I might have in my mind about a certain group of people, or maybe I make uh, quick judgments about people based on their external appearance, right? Um, I can say that this person is probably belonging to this group, this person's ethics are like this, this person doesn't believe this, based on their external appearance. I think, you know, this gospel is fitting for us. Because we see this woman who was labeled as being, you know, somebody who was despised, outcast, and likely known in the city as a sinner, um, and despite all of this, we see how the Lord wants to teach us today to not make quick judgments, because things may not be as they as they seem, and things can change. Um, and this idea or this perception of the Samaritans being despised was not only among the Jews, but even the disciples themselves felt the same way about the Samaritans. There was one time in John chapter eight when they were going through with the Lord Jesus, and they passed through a village in Samaria. And the people there, they rejected them. So then John and uh, James, I believe, I can't recall exactly, but two of the disciples, they came to the Lord and they said, um, yeah, James and John, it says that, um, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and uh, rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. So he rebuked them back then when he told them, should we send fire from heaven that these people should be consumed? Um, and actually, the Jews themselves, when they were trying, when they were accusing Christ, they actually called him a Samaritan as a type of curse. They said to him, uh, we, uh, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So back then, the Samaritan was something like a curse because of the people were so despised. But then you'll find when the Lord speaks about the Samaritans in the New Testament, find a different sentiment. You'll find that He speaks with them in actually an honorable way. And they have many virtues that perhaps we can learn from. There are three primary you know, stories about Samaritans that the Lord spoke about or encountered. One, of course, is today the Samaritan woman. Does anybody remember the other one? The good Samaritan must be, right? And the third one. Yeah, this one's kind of difficult. There's one of ten. When he healed the ten lepers, this was the third one. 
So let's go through them and see what lessons we can learn from the Samaritans as a group of outcasts. So that way when we look at somebody and perhaps count them as being an outcast, we remember to ourselves, you know what? If the Lord taught us to learn something from these Samaritans, then maybe perhaps there's something I can learn from other people perhaps who I may have uh, have prejudice against or might have judged prematurely. The first we'll start with is the Good Samaritan. The story is very familiar to us. The man is the parable. The man was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. They left him half dead. And the priest came by, didn't do anything. The Levi came by and didn't do anything. And of course the Samaritan went and he saw him. Um, and he had compassion on him. But where does the story begin? What is the context of the story? The story begins by a lawyer coming to the Lord and asking him, what can I do that I might inherit eternal life? So the Lord says, you know the commandments, you know, honor your father and mother, and gave him some of the commandments. And, I'm sorry, in this scenario, this was the rich and guru. In this scenario, uh, he told him to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So then the Lord responded to him and says, you have rightly said, you have rightly answered, do this and you will live. Then it says the lawyer to test the Lord, he asked him, and who is my neighbor? Then in response to this question, who is my neighbor? The Lord says the story of this good Samaritan. To get him to understand what? That this Samaritan whom you despise is your neighbor and is doing better than you. Is doing better than you, right? Of course we know in the, in the story that the Samaritan comes and when he sees him, the Lord says that uh, the certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. So the first thing we learn from the Samaritans is their compassion. He had compassion, right? When he saw the man who was beaten, he looked at him as a fellow citizen, as fellow human being. Not somebody who deserves this, not somebody who's a sinner, not somebody who... And he uh, is because of his past, you know, mistakes. This is what he gets. But he looked at him as a fellow human being and says, "This isn't right. That I am whole and healthy, and he is hurting like this. Let me help him." And what did he do to help this man? We read that uh, he sacrificed, of course, his time because he was going on a journey, and whatever you know here he was going, he didn't make it. And back then they didn't have cell phones where they can call them and say, "Hey, I'm running late. Can we meet up tomorrow?" No. The person didn't meet this business exchange, خلاص, then he lost the business. But he's willing to sacrifice that, right? He sacrificed his possessions. He poured on him oil and, and wine as like, as to cleanse the wounds, right? He put him on his own animal and took him to the inn, right? This is like if we saw somebody out in the street who was bloody, would we put him in the back of our car? Some people would think twice and say, let's call an ambulance because if I put him in my car, he might get blood in my car. And God knows if he has any kind of disease. right? So we think twice. This man didn't do that. He put him on his animal and took him to the inn. And then when he got to the inn, he cared for him. And when he had to leave, he told the innkeeper, here's two days worth of money. Take care of him. And he says something interesting after. As he leave, as he's leaving, he says, I'll come back after my journey. And whatever it is that is missing, or however much more you need to take care of him, I'm going to pay. So we see he had compassion on him. And he sacrificed for him. But the important thing is it was, in, it was un, uh, limitless. Right? He didn't put a limit. He said, however much you need to care for him, do it. And I'll repay you. Right? This is this not exactly what Christ does with us. Right? 
So he's saying to them that the Samaritan here is like me, who cares for you, limitless. However much you need, right? And if we notice here that the Samaritan had compassion on the Jew, and the Jew is the one who despised him. So the one who fell among thieves was a Jew. And to the Jew, the Samaritan was despised. But to the Samaritan, the Jew wasn't despised. He bent down and he helped him. You'll find this is the common theme. The second example is the um, the passage where the Christ healed the ten lepers. This wasn't a parable. This actually happened. This was a miracle. So it says as Christ was going from Jerusalem, uh, uh, passing through Samaria and Galilee, that he found ten lepers. And we know lepers in the Old Testament, there was a disease that was very contagious. So they would often be isolated by themselves. They can be together, but they had to be isolated from everyone else. Right? So that was, as, as Christ was passing by, um, <clears throat> the, the, the ten lepers, they cried out to him and said, uh, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Of course, he was far because they were lepers, so they kept their distance. Um, and then it says, the Lord looked at them and it says to them, go show yourself to the priest. He didn't tell them that they were healed. He didn't tell them anything. But he gave them an instruction. Why? Because there always has to be a test of faith. If you will obey or not. So they went to the priest and by the time they got there, they were healed because they all obeyed. Right? They all received the blessing of this healing, this physical healing. And then it says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorifying God, and fell down at his feet, giving thanks to him. So one of them thought to himself, I have to return back and tell him thank you for what he did. The other nine, they went and happy, they went their way and they went to their family, perhaps showing themselves to their families and their friends and saying, look, look, we were healed. But one of them came back and was in such, with such sincerity and uh, with such warmth, went down to the Lord's feet and thanked him for this great grace that he's given him. And you know, um, St. Luke adds, and he was a Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan. The one who you thought was despised and unworthy was the only one who did the right act. So was grateful, right? He came back and gave thanks. How many times has God graced us and given us things and we forget to go back to thank Him? We thank Him for the food before we get it, before we eat it. But then after we eat, we just get up and go about our day. Maybe we don't pause to say thank you. We ask God to help us in a work and get a promotion. And we thank Him, and then we ask for Him, and when we get the promotion, we begin by working. Maybe we forget to go back and thank Him. Or give Him an offering, right? Maybe if God allows us to, you know, be reconciled with a friend, because we've been praying about it, we go back and thank Him. There are sometimes, and I speak to myself first, there are many gifts that God gives us that we forget to thank Him for. And sometimes these gifts are long-lasting. Are long-lasting. Maybe like, for example, remember we okay, one time we were going home, uh, uh, shopping for a house. Right? And we were praying, God, give us a house, give us a house, give us a house. And God gave us a house. And we loved the house for the first year and second year. Do we still think after many years to thank God for the house that He gave us five years back, ten years back? Do we thank God for giving us, you know, for the husbands or wives, or husbands and wives, for the kids that they've given us despite the hardship maybe that they caused? Do we remember to thank God for them? 
after many, many years, right? This is something we can learn from the Samaritans. They were very grateful uh, people, or at least the ones that encountered the, the Lord encountered. And it's uh, it's interesting how those from whom gratitude is least expected often prove the most grateful. Maybe out of the the ten that were healed, we would have expected the nine Jews to come back who knew who the prophet was or who knew the Lord was to be a prophet and they would have came and thanked him. But the one who was unexpected is the one who came and gave thanks. That's why when he came back and the Lord said, didn't I heal ten? Where are the rest of them? Where are the nine? And then you looked at the one who came back and says, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. But this is interesting, because he says, Your faith has made you well. But weren't the, all, the ten healed? Yes, the ten were healed. But there was something else that this man got, that this Samaritan got, that the other nine did not. You know, some scholars differ on what this is, but perhaps the others recontracted leprosy again, and this one didn't. Or perhaps, and maybe this is probably what it was, is that this man was restored to a new life with God. A new beginning with God, right? Um, Because he believed and he came back to give thanks. Christ filled uh, Judea with much of his miracles and physical healings, yet sometimes the Jews remained unsaved because they didn't come back to give thanks. And if you notice here, the, and when he says give thanks, the Greek word for give thanks is uh, eucharisto. Eucharisto. What does that sound like? Eucharist, right? This is the Eucharist. Give thanks. This is what this means, right? So anytime we come to church and we partake of the body and blood, this is a time of thanksgiving to the Lord. Do we come to church and when we come and take communion with this spirit and this heart of thank you, Lord, for allowing me and counting me worthy to partake of your precious blood and body. This is a a thanksgiving that none of us deserve, regardless of how righteous or how good we are. The last, of course, is the encounter from today with the Samaritan woman. And there are many things we can learn from her, and we'll go through quickly part of her story to, to extract them. The first part, we're in the beginning of the story, when the Lord approaches her, and he asks for something to drink. She says to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? So she said, how it is that you, being a Jew, who look at me to be despised and to be like a foreigner and impure, how is it that you're asking a drink from me? And we notice here that she was not vengeful. She wasn't vengeful. Because the Jews hated the Samaritans, she didn't feel the same towards the Lord. She didn't feel the same. That's why when people hate us, my beloved, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to hate them back. You know, sometimes the younger kids, they'll come and say, this person said he's not my friend anymore, so I'm not going to be their friend anymore. But why? Why? Just because somebody hates you and doesn't like you, doesn't mean you have to return that to them. This is their issue. We are called as Christians to love everyone, Right? And not to return hatred for hatred. She didn't hate those who hated her. Um, uh, and as we said, it seems like through the different examples that the Jews hated the Samaritans. Uh, and of course there's a history to this because they once, they have Jewish lineage, but then they mixed with the foreign nations. So the Jews looked at them as being kind of like this defiled uh, version of a Jew. So they didn't like them. 
But the, the Samaritans don't look at the Jews in the same way. So this is the first thing we can learn. They're not vengeful. They don't hate. They don't return hatred for hatred, right? The second is when the Lord uh, was giving her this exchange, and finally He wanted to extract from her her repentance, or at least reveal to her. And He said to her, "Okay, before I give you this living water that you so desire, go and call your husband." And she said, "I have no husband." And that's it. And that was it. Period. Knowing who he was, she said to him, I have no husband. She didn't proceed to say to him, but you know, master or Lord, I'm in a tight situation. I have nowhere else to live. My parents aren't here. I'm here by myself. She was the only one that took me in. I'm staying in one room and he's staying in another room. She didn't begin to make all of the excuses, right, to justify why she's living with him. Right? Nor did she say, but you know, Abuna, he's such a wonderful person. Uh, uh, we're gonna, uh, God willing, we're gonna get married one day. She didn't give any of this story. She said, I have no husband, period. That's it. So she was honest with herself. She was honest with herself and with him. She said to him, I have no husband. When I come to confession, and I'm confessing before Abuna, do I say to him, I have no husband? I lied. I, you know, um, cursed someone. I looked a bad thought. Or am I justifying every action? I, I was angry at somebody and I yelled them and cursed them. But they made me do so and so and so and so because the situation was so and so and so. She didn't do that. She was honest. I made a mistake regardless of the circumstance. The circumstance never justifies us for making this like uh, for sinning. It is what it is. We sinned, we sinned. And we move on. And you'll see this is another beautiful thing about her. So the first we said that she wasn't vengeful. She didn't return hatred for hatred. Number two is she was honest with herself when she said, I have no husband. The third is perhaps even nicer. She said that her, uh, when she said, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. She said this immediately after he told her you have no husband. So what do we learn from this? We learn that her desire to worship God, or we can say her own spiritual growth, was more important to her than her sin. Was more important to her than her sin. I wish all of us can learn this lesson. Because sometimes we get focused on, my goal as a Christian is to not sin. And that's it. No, my beloved. Sin is in the way. Our goal as a Christian is to be united with Christ. And that only comes by doing the positive things, right? By worship, by prayer, by surrounding myself with godly people, right? By reading in scripture, by saying the praises. All of these things help me to get in unity with Christ and to be united with Him and to worship Him. This wonderful woman, she saw her sin, identified it, and was able to move past it. It didn't consume her. Sometimes we confess we're so consumed with the sin that we have no time to do any positive any action. I spend so, so much effort and time trying not to do a bad thing or trying not to sin, but then I forget to do anything positive. It's actually, Christ says of Himself that He's the light of the world. Right? When we approach the light, the darkness will flee. I don't want to belittle and say, okay, sin isn't, you know, is not a big deal. It's still a big deal and it can snare many of us. But let's not stay focused on the sin and forget the one, the forgiver of sin. 
And he's the one we need to be united to and focus our time and attention on. The fourth lesson we learned from the Samaritan woman was that after she discovered who he was and he revealed to her that he is the Messiah, she left her water pot and went. What did she do? She went to go and tell the men of the city about what her experience was and who this man that she met was. And then interestingly, the story shifts to the disciples. And I think the... Uh, the contrast is something we can't avoid. The woman, when she knew who Christ was, she went and told the people in the city immediately. Then Christ wanted to work with the disciples for a little bit. So it says in verse 31, it says, in the, in the meantime, the disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. So they went to get something to eat and they came to him and said, here we got food, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So he says, We have something else that we want to talk about. Or something else that I want to show you is better for me to eat. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Okay, did anybody else give him anything? What, is he, what did he eat behind our back? We didn't have anything. Then look how the Lord responds. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What is his work? His work is the salvation of all humanity. Salvation of everyone, right? Um, and he says, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? What does this mean? This was a proverb at the time. You know, and people would say this like uh, to procrastinate. Like if I don't want to do anything, they say, Isn't there four months to the harvest? We have plenty of time, right? So it's kind of a way to justify our procrastination. I don't know much in Arabic I'm said, but I'm sure there's a mesel in Arabic that's just the same because there's a mesel in Arabic for everything, right? But this is one of those proverbs. If I wanted to procrastinate, I would say, oh, there's still four months in the harvest. We have time. So the Lord was telling the disciples, don't have this attitude of, oh, there's plenty of time. We have life is long, right? Sometimes we tell this to ourselves, to our own souls, right? We say, I'm young. Let's just live it up. And we never... I get a little bit older, I'll, I'll think about God and take Him serious. It's not guaranteed. Then he continues and says what? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. The interesting thing here is that when wheat is ready for harvest, it's not white. Actually, white means it's not ready yet. It turns a golden color when it's ready to be harvested, Right? So what is the connection that Christ wanted to make? He was getting the disciples ready for the men who were coming from the city from Samaria wearing their white robes, white galabayas, coming down to meet him. So he was getting them ready. He was saying to them what? Okay, these men are coming to now hear about me. Get ready, gird yourself and tell them what they need to hear. Preach to them. Now is not the time to worry about food. Now is the time to feed these souls who are hungry, who are yearning, who are Samaritans, who probably you consider as being despised. And then he says to them, and he who reaps receive wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. So he says, I want you to reap. Gather the fruit of the Samaritans for your eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So they all can rejoice together. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. 
He's saying to them that the prophets before, they came laboring with the people, and I want you to enter into their labors and reap where you have not harvested. You weren't the first ones to plant the seeds, by the way, in Samaria. Others have came before you. But I want you to preach to them and to reap the rewards. So they did. The interesting thing is when you jump to the book of Acts, you'll find that St. Philip went to Samaria to preach. And they, you know, they accepted him with open arms. Right? Why? Because they were already ready. They had a Samaritan woman who went and told them about Christ many years before St. Philip went there. Right? So again, there are often times in our service that we enter into a service that has already been established. Or enter into a service where many have labored before us. Right? And we enter into their yani, labors. This is good for the servants to learn that the fruit that we bear is never the product of my work. It's never the product of my work, but it's the work of God collectively through all of the servants throughout this person's life. So it's very clear here that we compare the excitement of the Samaritan woman who immediately when she met him, she went and preached to the disciples who were wanting to eat and were kind of, you know, not worried about anything. He wanted to tell them, get up and get ready because there is harvest that's coming down the mountain. The last lesson we learned from the Samaritan is that she didn't consider the question when she went to preach, will they listen to me? Will they listen to me? She went and she shared and said, come and see the one who told me all that I ever did. That's what she said. Did she care whether they heard? And to be honest with you, if she would have thought about it before, she probably would have come to the conclusion, they're not going to listen to me. Right? She'd married five husbands and the one she's with is not her husband. So they think the men, and instead it went, she went to the men of the city. She didn't go to the women of the city. She went to the men of the city. Do you think the men have a good impression of her? Probably not. And if she thinks that, why would they even listen to me if they don't even think, you know, I'm a godly person or I even care about God? Why would they listen to me? She didn't even consider this. She went and told them whether they listen, they don't listen, they come, they don't come. It's up to them. I'm telling you because I experienced something life-changing or someone life-changing, come and see. And this is all of our calling, is to tell others, come and see the one who changed my life. And some of the men came down and they met him. And when they heard him, they even gave her a tough word. They said to her what? <clears throat> they, uh, now they said to the woman, now we believe not because what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So he says, we believe, but not because of you. But actually it was because of her, because she told them to come. Right? But this reminds me of a beautiful part with what St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so they believe. And the hag is that they believe. It doesn't matter if they credit me with the preaching or credit somebody else with the preaching. I'm a haga, they believe. The goal is for the people to meet Christ, not for me to be glorified or for me to get the praise. The goal is for the people to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. So we learn many lessons about the Samaritans today. And perhaps if we come and we have this prejudice against people, that we meet Fashera anywhere in the street or our co-workers, because of how they look, or how they dress, or how they act. The story of the Samaritans tell us today, no. Perhaps there's a lesson we can learn from them. I'll conclude by a, a small story that you all are familiar with about St. Makarios, 
one of his disciples was going through the wilderness and he met a man who was a pagan priest. And he was up early, like at 5 a.m., you know, offering incense to the idols. So his disciple was rebuking him and saying, what are you doing? You're worshiping an idol and started cursing him and so on like that. So they ended up getting him into a fight and they hit the monk and beat him and he went back to St. Macarius. St. Macarius said, what's going on? What happened? He said, so and so and so, this is what happened. So St. Macarius, the next day, he was going walking in the desert and Taban, the, the priest, saw him from afar dressed as a monk and he got his tools ready to beat this one too. right? So when he came to him, St. Macarius looked at him and praised him because he got up early to pray. He got up early to pray. And the guy was stunned. The priest was stunned. He says, I don't understand. Aren't you of the same faith as the monk that I beat up yesterday? And he said, yes. He said, what's the difference? He says, well, I see in you a good quality that you rose up. Perhaps this man, when has this, this kind of this kind of encounter and introduction, he'd be open to hear about Christ, right? Because he found something to praise. Sometimes the non-believers, my beloved, can rebuke us. Can rebuke us. We can see them practicing their religion, and we say they don't know what they're doing. They don't know. They don't have the truth. But perhaps their devotion is better than my devotion to the true God, and this can rebuke me, right? So let's look at them with this eye among all of our brethren and not look at them as a Samaritan as being someone who's despised. But look at them with maybe perhaps there's a lesson that God wants to give to me. Just to recap what we learned from the Samaritans that they were compassionate, they were grateful. Uh, the Samaritan woman was not vengeful. She was honest with herself. She desired to worship God was more important to her than her sin. Uh, in her excitement, she uh, wanted to share her newfound discovery in the Lord Christ. And lastly, she didn't consider the question of, will they listen to me? To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.